what does a pharmacist do? Well, most people might answer that a pharmacist dispenses the medications that my doctor prescribes. Now, I work with a ton of great pharmacists, and one thing that I don't generally see is excitement about pills in a vial. And this is probably because pharmacists have been trained to do so much more. So what can you get excited about in your community? To find out, let's go Beyond the Scripts. Hey everyone, welcome back to Beyond the Scripts. I'm your host, Will Tuft with Pioneer Rx, and today we have a special guest joining us from Eden Drug. Uh, everyone, please welcome Pete Crouch, a dare I say legendary pharmacist. Uh, I don't know about that, <laughs> but I'm, uh, I'm old, so I've been around a long time. <laughs> a l- little more time for legend making. Um, no, but definitely a, a recognizable face, uh, somebody that anytime I go to a trade show, uh, one of the faces I'm looking for, certainly uh, a well-known figure in pharmacy today. So welcome and thanks for joining. I know uh, super busy, so thanks for making some time. Oh, this is great. My pleasure. So uh, for anyone that's not familiar with Eden Drug, tell me a little bit about Eden Drug and uh, the community that you serve there. Okay. We're in uh, Piedmont, North Carolina. We're right on the North Carolina-Virginia line, just like 10 miles from the state line. And um, Eden is a little town of about 15,000, and it um, uh, is made up of three small towns that uh, consolidated back in 1967 when I was in high school. And uh, it almost didn't happen. The boat was really, really close. <clears throat> but uh, since that time, uh, the area seemed to flourish more. And um, uh, yeah, and so it was a great community. Uh, my wife and I both grew up in Eden and raised our kids here. So it's kind of fun to be back in the community serving uh patients that where we grew up so yeah it's a little town of um so a little bit of the history we've got a couple of rivers that run through uh eden and so you can imagine in the early years uh there were a lot of mills cotton mills mainly because of the water power and so a lot of the uh a lot of the local economy depended on that textile type of uh, industry. And of course, when that all went away um, some years back, it um, uh, it was difficult. And uh, we went some through some of those, those trying times. And uh, uh, we'll talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So yeah. that a little bit about the community. Uh, so that pharmacy has been there for quite a while. Uh, I guess Eden Drug has been there about 40 years, 41 years. Yes. We celebrated our 40th anniversary uh, last summer. And uh, uh, every so often we will do a, we'll do a uh, community appreciation or uh, customer appreciation day. And we'll, we usually do that around our anniversary date. Um, and, uh, that's usually in June. So we get out there and grill hot dogs and we have music and we'll have a bounce house for the kids. And, um, uh, sometimes we have unusual animals to show up. Uh, 
not people, but um, uh, and, and just make it a, we make it a fun day for, for a lot of folks. But yeah, Eden Drug has been around uh, since 1982, and that was when my daughter was born, uh, and she now she now works for us. Uh, it was started by a couple of pharmacists, and um, they did a really great job. They weren't very uh, technology savvy. Uh, but they really created um, um, a good business. And my wife and I bought the business in 2006 and then transformed it into what it is today. Uh, so we've owned the business now since 2006. Nice. But you actually started uh, in, what, 2000 at Eden Drug? So you had a little bit of time there before making the, uh, the ownership leap, huh? I did. It really was great for the transition because I got to know uh, the patients really well, and they got to know me and feel comfortable with me. And uh, so we just had a real easy transition. And and uh, the guys that I purchased it from were just amazing. And they continued to work for me some over the years until their health declined a little bit, but they would cover weekends for me so I could get away with my family because those early years were a little bit tough. Um, back in OX, the economy was starting to decline, and uh, and so I wound up working a lot of hours throughout the week, but uh, it, it helped me to really get in the business and start to transform it the way I wanted to go. Um, uh, without any resistance, and it, sure. it just made a lot made a lot difference. Yeah, I feel like that's a pretty ideal situation when you're able to go in and and kind of you know earn your stripes, all the, you know, uh, uh, organically uh, with the community and with the with the staff. Uh, but then also, you know, keep that that goodwill in the community because anytime a business that's been around for forty years has roots that are that are that deep there there's probably a bit of fear or you know anytime there's a changing of the guard or the the end of an era so how great to be able to keep that um that goodwill and, and those familiar faces on board that's right it um it was um uh really uh um you know it was a scary time to uh be purchasing a, a business when when the economy didn't look that great Sure. But it was a time when we didn't have DIR fees also. And yeah. uh, it was about the time that MedD actually came into being. And um, uh, so we were experiencing more people getting their prescription being paid for uh, that before we're paying out of pocket. And, uh -huh. uh, and so we were able to pick up some more business uh, that way. And we didn't know how good we had it, actually. Um, <laughs> reimbursement. Right. Back in, back in those days, uh, DRs have certainly uh, got more challenging uh, over the years, for sure. So I had worked on a lot of things to help me become a good pharmacist. You know, going to CEs and, and all of this. I had really focused on um, how to be a really good clinical pharmacist. And, uh, but now owning a pharmacy, I had to change hats and learn how to be a good businessman. And, um, 
And so uh, those early years were trying to figure out our direction and trying to um, prepare me uh, to know how to how to really look at a balance sheet and yeah. an income statement and to know not just how much money you had in the bank, but to be able to forecast what uh, you know what my needs were going to be six months down the road. And um, uh, so I did a lot of work in those early years on me, just learning about financials, learning about uh, marketing, learning about people. Sure. I had to hire. Uh, I never had to do that before. And now, you know, you, you learn by mistakes, but uh, that's a costly way to learn. So um, I think in those early years, I spent a lot of time on developing me and trying to get uh, the tools that I needed and also to start developing my staff. And, and that was, that was huge. Um, one of the things we did early on was actually created a vision. And, and then that vision became our roadmap so that everything we did, we tried to, we tried to live our vision and we tried to tie our activities, uh, to whether or not it fit our vision. And so uh, I think that was one of the critical steps that that we actually did some hard work, and um, we did a lot of bouncing ideas. My wife and I, and and some of my leadership staff, we bounced a lot of ideas around, and um, and and really tried to create something that would be meaningful uh, to us as a business and um, uh, to our community. Um, and to really, so we could go home at night, we could feel good about, about what we do during the day because what we do is hard sometimes. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's crazy how many hats you have to wear. It's kind of like the, uh, yeah, I love the Gordon Ramsay shows with, uh, like kitchen nightmares where you, you see people who are passionate about one aspect, maybe they're a chef, maybe they like dining experiences. So they thought, oh, I'm going to go open a restaurant, you know, and all of a sudden they have to wear all these different hats that they're, they're just woefully unequipped for. <laughs> like I can imagine what a tidal wave, tidal wave that must be. Um, so who did you lean on early, early on to kind of make those, um, uh, th- those hard decisions and kind of get a roadmap together? Was it a specific organization, state organization or, or local um, chambers or, you know, who, who did you lean on early for, for those uh, kind of initial steps? Well, um, a lot of the above. Uh, we became active in our chamber of commerce so that I could get connected to other businesses and, um, and we were also, I'd also starting going to a lot of trade shows. Um, I'd always done a lot with CE and I'm a clinical uh, pharmacist practitioner. So I had, uh, I was always getting about 35 hours of CE just to keep that up. But now I am more interested in marketing and business and, and how to, how to really grow that way. So, um, I think at one of the McKesson conferences, uh, we, I met Dan Benamos from mm-hmm. PDS 
And this was like six months after I bought the pharmacy. And man, I think he did a marketing program called uh, Put Your Marketing on Steroids. And uh, that was pretty catchy. And uh, of course, you know, Dan, he always puts on uh, a great presentation. Sure. And, uh, so I, I filled out a little card and he called me about, oh my goodness, um, a month later, maybe. And we talked and um, he said, well, um, we'd love to have you as a member. And we started talking about pricing and it was like $350. I thought, gosh, I don't think I can afford $350 a month. And, and Dan said, um, hey, if you don't think what we provide you with is worth $350 after three months, I'll give you all your money back. And so um, so we tried it, and it was, I mean, PDS was really what we needed to, um, um, to in, help us to engage in, in activities that, I mean, I probably would never have thought of. They brought very um high-powered speakers sure. uh, to the conference and um uh i was connected to a, a personal coach a business coach and uh later became involved in the board of directors so had to present um uh you know my business as if i were were in on um, running a large business on a board and uh, so learned a lot about financials and and really connecting with other pharmacy owners that was having the same struggles I'm having, but maybe they figured a different solution. And uh, so we shared a lot of ideas and really had a really um, got to know a lot of great people over the years. So I would say PDS was probably the most influential and helping us to move forward as a business um, and do some things that we probably wouldn't have, wouldn't have thought. Yeah. So you had six years at that pharmacy before you took that ownership leap. So there, there could definitely be, you know, um, so some time to, to see how the pharmacy works, but also to see how it has worked forever. And, and it, could be easy for some people to say that's the way we've always done it and that's the way we'll continue to do it. Uh, there's always that draw. Um, so what what did you see as this is definitely working and this needs to stay the way it is? This is the secret sauce for success in a small community. And then what did you see as opportunity that when I'm at the helm, we're, we're going to you know, take a different direction. We're going to offer this service. You know, where, where did you see that uh, you wanted to go kind of in the early days? Well, I knew we had to change. Uh, we had to adapt uh, technology. The owners, the previous owners, the community loved them, but uh, they had a very antiquated uh, computer system. It was basically a glorified typewriter. And um, uh, so we knew we had to upgrade the technology to be able to take care of our patients better uh, and just put in systems that would help us to be organized. I can remember when I first went to work there and the system was if um, if you owed somebody some medication, it's coming in the next day, you put a note up on the wall. And so there were 
all these notes hanging everywhere. And and so then you had to find the note and uh Oh no. <laughs> and it was uh people would uh come in to get their medication and then you had to find the note. Then you had to go retrieve the medication and so the patient was late. <laughs> it was uh, it was it was pretty chaotic and uh uh, so, uh, as I became owner and could make the decisions about how to modify some things, it still was tough because the staff was somewhat resistant, even just putting in a color-coded basket system. Um, uh, and, and so it unfortunately took, uh, some employee changes, uh, in order to, in order to make the transition work like I needed it to work, so we had to get the right people and the right seal. Yeah, and uh, uh, you know sometimes you have a good person working for you, but they're just not capable of doing or performing the job that they're in, and you just got to get move them around and get them in the in the right seat. Uh, so I think in uh, adapting uh, better technology. And um, uh, training, employee training, and just having meetings because they really didn't embrace that in the early days. And so we started having meetings and we just did some things. I can remember we did a little thing called iPower. And um, don't know if you've ever heard of that or not, but I heard it at one of the conferences. And it was um, uh, how do you tap in? to the employees um, having ideas about things because a lot of these employees that are on the front line or to your delivery employees, they might actually have an idea of how to do it better. And uh, so you want to try to capture those ideas. And so it was, uh, we took some little bitty sticky notepads and we asked uh, each employee to come to the meeting with two ideas. And if it had any value, if it had, if it was a uh, pretty good idea, we're going to get $5 for it. And if it had any value, positive value whatsoever, we paid at least a dollar. Um, and so, and we got some interesting things. I mean, we had a, sure. a customer service um, employee that had a great idea for our delivery drivers. And when the patient wasn't home, why aren't we putting a note on their door saying we were there and we tried to deliver to them and uh, and we'll we'll check back at, at a later time. That way when they got home, their medication wasn't there, they knew we at least tried. And yeah. um, so it gave a better experience. But really what this was was a way to train, start to train the employees to problem solve. And now we're changing their mindset from, okay, this is how we do it, to are there any po other possibilities out there? Could we do this easier? And uh, management likes us to give them ideas. They pay us to give them ideas. And so now people are, people are just... Um, uh, just, you know, helping us with all kinds of things, some valuable, yeah. some not, but we, we tried to, <laughs> uh, we tried to capture the good ideas and just, uh, 
put them in a, a file so that maybe, you know, sometimes it's about timing. An idea might be a great idea, but the timing might just not be quite right. So, yeah. um, so we tried to capture uh, the things that made sense, and it made our employees feel like they were part of the team, and uh, and that what they what they thought about or their ideas didn't matter. So, uh, I think that was part of changing the culture, I guess, to let's be a team and and let's you know be patient focused. Yeah, and that's such a such a great mindset for your team, you know, to to kind of a be able to share that valuable experience of, you know, this is what actually happens when from a from a desk in the back or from a programmer's uh, computer or you know wherever it is, it may look like a great idea, but when you see it actually in practice, oh. It, yeah, this could be tweaked and this could be much better. And like I said, now that that employee feels like they're part of the team, it's it's, you know, the thing that we're doing. Uh, and that that little change can be such a big mindset shift. Absolutely. Um, some of the early things I'll just dive into some of the early things we did uh, to um, for some. First of all, our vision was to keep our patients healthy give them an exceptional experience and give back to our local community. So we wanted those three pillows to be part of our vision. And uh, I worked with my business coach to try to develop that. And what does it look like? What does all of that mean? And, um, and we talk about it in staff meetings and um, uh, we, we tried to, help our staff understand what is it what does it mean to keep our patients healthy what does it mean to give them a great experience and what does it mean to um, to give back to our community so one of the first things we did is we did a book bag for we looked at young families and we wanted to engage more with uh, with young families and it was a um, I don't know, 2010 maybe or or nine, and we started. The economy wasn't that great, and so a lot of young families were struggling. And we said, "What can we do to help the kids get a great start back to school?" And so we said, "Let's do a book bag program," and the chamber was kind of promoting that a little bit. So we, I went to the school system. And we wanted to focus on kids K through five. So I said, well, how many kids in our Eden area? And they said, 1,700 kids. Um, and I'm thinking, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so we actually uh, found uh, online where we could buy book bags. And we bought, I don't know that we bought 1,700, but we probably bought 1,500 or so that first year. And, uh, and so we got the book bags in and we said, well, you know, Walmart puts on all these, all these sales during the summer and we're going to start early and we're going to collect all of these school supplies. How can we make it very impactful for if we wanted to all the K through five kids in our, in our community? And so we started going to local businesses 
and we we said, would you like to donate to uh, the book bank program that we're going to do for for young kids? And by the way, you can put a coupon in there. So we went to pizza um, places. Oh, nice. Yeah, we went to where you change your oil. And uh, uh, we went to doctor's offices. We went to just talk to individuals. Um, and we got, we grabbed up coupons. Um, people donated money. And we started buying the school supplies when they became an, available. And we had an education center that we had been teaching diabetes education at. And so we sort of staged everything there. Uh, we went to Walmart and we filled up 17 buggies full of school <laughs> supplies. So it was, it was a little chaotic and Walmart didn't know exactly what to think, but they, they gave me a gift card for $250 uh, so that, that helped out. And, uh, and, you know, we found that we did a little bit of marketing through the chamber and some of the news outlets sort of picked up on what we were doing, especially after the first year. Uh, and we actually had patients giving us money when we were shopping in Walmart. They would walk up to us and actually give us money uh, for the program. So it was, uh, it was very impactful. And we, we then had all of this stuff that we took to our education center. We had all the book bags. And we said, now we, we've got to get it organized, got to get it ready. So uh, my wife... Uh, is a retired elementary education teacher. So you can imagine why we got connected with a book bag program. Sure. <laughs> but um, uh, so she knew a bunch of retired teachers and um, uh, they volunteered their time. And we had staff members, we had other volunteers, and we put all these book bags together. We filled them up with supplies, basically. And then about a week before school start starts, we uh, set up a big tent outside and we just had the parking lot full of people. Um, but some of the things we also did to engage them in connecting with our pharmacy is we, um, we had a, a, a bubble gum machine called a bubble uh, uh, gumball gizmo and it goes okay. through it goes through all these things it takes about a minute for the bubble gum to actually come out so it's kind of fun to watch the different actuations that occur and so we gave all the kids a quarter so they could come in and do the bubble gum thing uh, and we also put uh, kids chewable vitamins in the book bags or we gave them a coupon where they could get it uh, come into the pharmacy and and we would actually queue it up like a prescription and we we said this is free to you every month for a year and then if you continue to do business if your family does business with us we just continue the program indefinitely so it was a great way to show um well to for families to learn about us as a business without having to spend a dime. They can yeah. come in and experience the atmosphere, the, the experience that they had, get their prescription filled, and not have to spend anything. So um, so that became a very uh, amazing marketing tool, and it cost about 50 cents for 
um, a month's supply of those kids' vitamins. And we still do it today for kids. Um, so we did this book bag program for over nine years, for at least nine years. Oh, wow. And Yeah. Um, so eventually the YMCA and um, some other groups wanted to, wanted to take it over and we had pretty much were exhausted because we, we were spending <laughs> our summer vacation collecting school supplies. And, and uh, uh, it was a great program and, and we, uh, we had some great connections in the community uh, with, with promoting that. So a lot of fun. Yeah. So growing up there in the community, you, you have an organic uh, connection with, with people uh, in your age bracket. And then you have your daughter there in the, in the community as well, not to mention Eden Drug uh, with, with their history in the community. And now kind of touching base with that third generation and building those strong bonds. It's, you know, hard to imagine a kid in uh and Rockingham County that hasn't had a uh, an Eden Drug backpack at some point, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, we would we would see them around all kind of places, and we would have some left over uh, because um, not air, not all the kids would get them. So what we what we did is we took them to the schools uh, around Christmas time, and when the kids came back uh, to school after the first of the year, they always needed stuff, so the teachers would kind of supply the kids with uh, with extra stuff that that they needed so so it became a, a really a really good need needed project for our for our community especially in those years where where a lot of folks were struggling yeah so you definitely uh, kind of touched on an emphasis on education a couple times already uh, whether it's yourself and professional development uh, your your wife and her ties to the community uh, and working with schools but one of the things that has been a focus for Eden drug is uh, the education center and I thought that was a really interesting uh, kind of aspect of that pharmacy so tell me a little bit about how that works and what services you offer there yeah, so at um, some of the meetings, I met David Pope, and uh, David had developed a program um, around diabetes education, around uh, heart-healthy classes, and really had put together a uh, package where pharmacists could, without, a, you know, just with our knowledge, he had all the slides and everything uh, prepared for us, and we could, in 30 minutes, go over his program, already know it about diabetes, and we could present it uh, in a very professional way. So we started out uh, doing diabetes education at the Chamber of Commerce. Uh, we didn't really have room in the pharmacy, but they had a boardroom, and uh, we started inviting our diabetic patients, and and we uh, inviting the whole community, really. So regardless of whether patients were our, our patients or not. And, and we started focusing on diabetes because those folks need a lot of help, uh, especially understanding nutrition, understanding their medication. And uh, it's a very complex, complicated disease, and they take a lot of medication. So we, we knew that we could really engage with, with those, those folks well. And then we uh, 
as part of that, we also did a heart healthy class. And uh, we, uh, we took that on the road to one of the senior centers and started doing that program at the senior center. Um, and it evolved, uh, I would sort of split it up in the early years. I did the diabetes education and one of my other pharmacists would do that heart healthy class. Uh, and then we started uh, bringing students in and letting them do part of it as well. Later, I hired a uh, nurse that's uh, a diabetic, uh, certified diabetic educator. And uh, she is so, I mean, she is amazing, very passionate about uh, uh, educating patients about nutrition and uh, about diabetes. And so now she works uh, with our diabetic patients. So I've sort of stepped out of that role a little bit. But in doing all of this, we, um, we purchased an old building that was fairly near the pharmacy. It was really an old trucking terminal. And so we put some offices in there and we created some space for our education classes. And we did that for a few years there. And then all of a sudden a tornado took the building out. Oh no. Yes. That building is two tenths of a mile from our pharmacy. And the building came over the YMCA, did some damage there, took our building out, didn't hurt anybody, middle of the night. And uh, uh, so it, it was pretty devastating there for a while. But for some reason, an opportunity came up with another building right beside the pharmacy. And we wound up purchasing that. And now we have an amazing uh, diabetes education center right beside the pharmacy. Uh, our staff has office space there. Uh, we have half the building for a palliative care clinic uh, for our hospice program in Rockingham County. So it's really created a great space for us um, here. And we do our diabetes education there. When COVID hit, it became um, um, it, be it became a um, a place where we we could set up and do all our vaccines. We could do testing. We could do our monoclonal antibodies and not disrupt the uh, workflow in the pharmacy itself. So yeah. we, it just it just made perfect sense. It, it's like it was meant to be. Uh, and yeah. it was perfect timing for us with that. So many indep independent pharmacies were able to pivot during COVID and and do those things where you know the bigger bigger entities just can't. Um, and it, and it almost seems like Kismet sometimes where there just happens to be the space next door. And you know we've had that with a, a couple different uh, guests that we've talked to where you know it almost seemed like destiny. <laughs> So, you know, with chronic disease states, so much of the impact on the patient can be managed through education and, and lifestyle change. Um, but of course, you know, the, the education process is uh, take, takes investment from the patient. It also takes investment from uh, some other entity to make that happen. So how are you able to offer that to your patients? Are you able to um, turn that into a successful business model? How are you able to monetize that or, or at least make that self-sustaining 
especially in a small community. Yeah. So we knew we wanted to uh, be credentialed. And so we did some work and uh, became uh, credentialed with Medicare so that we could actually bill for these services. So we can bill Medicare, we can bill uh, commercial insurance. Um, we even have a uh, the local Lions Club uh, funds some indigent patient education. It um, it it doesn't pay a lot. It it works better if you can if you can take ten patients through the program, and then it becomes more um, uh, cost cost efficient, I guess. But um, COVID sort of disrupted all of that. Before COVID, we would have twenty to thirty patients come to our classes, and um, uh, since COVID, it, it we've we tried to have some classes, and they we just haven't been able to reconnect with patients like we would like to. Um, sure. Well, we're doing some one-on-one. Uh, we want to keep the program going. We think it's 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 very needed. So. Um, so we're actually doing some one-on-one. It's not cost-effective to do that, but it's important. And um, and it fits our vision of how we take care of patients. So our, um, our nurse, um, who's a certified diabetic educator, does a lot of this so that our pharmacists can stay focused on, um, on other activities in the, in the pharmacy. Uh, so that nurse has become vital in helping us with our education program and helping us with our uh, vaccines as well. Yeah. So looks can definitely be deceiving. If you go to Google Maps and take a look at uh, your community, definitely looks like a small town, uh, small population, but it, it seems like you serve a much larger area, uh, you know, a rural area where, where people will... Uh, come within the city limits, I guess. Um, but it also seems like your pharmacy is a pretty small building on on uh, one of the main streets in town there, but you have a huge team kind of working behind the scenes, right? We do. We have about 40 employees. Yeah. And um, my, um, you know, a fault of mine is that I like to do everything. And, <laughs> that, and that comes with risk. So, um, uh, when, you know, when you do everything, um, you have to put the resources behind trying to make it all work. Uh, so we have 40 employees. Our building is about 4,500 square feet. So it's, it's a good size and, and we have, uh, office space for our nurse. We do, um, we do, uh, pre-employment drug testing. So, uh, and for some reason, that just clicked at our site. Uh, we we have patients that will, um, all the employees at Walmart hires, they send them to us to be drug tested. And before, within 10 minutes of us doing the test, and it's just peeing in a cup, basically, and putting it in a little device. But in 10 minutes of, after doing that, if it's a, um, a good hire, they can know that within 10 minutes just by logging onto the portal. So it's very efficient for them. Uh, so uh, we will do at least 100 tests a month. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. And so, uh, and our non-clinical staff can actually perform these tests and it gives them a higher level of activity to, uh, to be able to do in the pharmacy. So it's another level of satisfaction for them. Um, so we need employees for doing that. We have a lot of customer service. We have like four different uh, POS systems, uh, one in our drive-through and three uh, in the pharmacy. And so we have staff to, to manage all of that. We have a little bit of DMV that uh, we sit diabetic shoes, compression hose. So some of our staff are trained for doing those things. Uh, we do a little bit of compounding uh, we do packaging, uh, we have a robot, we, um, uh, we, get, we go in a lot of different directions sometimes. And then we have our education center next door that we always have activities uh, going on there. We can do staff development, we can do uh, bring patients in and do uh, trainings, um, we can have our staff meetings. So there's always something. But one of the things that we're open a lot of hours. Yeah. So we're open seven days a week uh, from eight o'clock in the morning until seven in the evening. And we're open Saturday from eight to five and Sunday from one to five. So we cover a lot of hours and that, that takes a lot of our, our staff. For sure. For sure. So I can definitely see how um, your, your staff had to adapt to some changes. <laughs> Seems like you've uh, introduced quite a few different things there in the in the uh, in the pharmacy that was traditionally more fill and bill. <laughs> um, what about some of the other big employers in that area? It seems like in a smaller community um, where maybe you don't have, like I said, a drug testing facility um, or some of those other uh, resources that a larger community m might have. So if you go up East Meadow Road and you have some of the bigger uh, employers out there in your area, um, have you been able to kind of find ways to uh, serve that larger customer and that larger need? We are definitely trying. Uh, we are connected with um, one company called Gildan. Mm -hmm. And uh, they, you probably see their name on a lot of t-shirts that, that you wear. Uh, they're a distribution center, and uh, we get to do all their employee uh, vaccines. Uh, we'll just go on site and cover all three shifts, and uh, we've done COVID vaccine there, flu shots, and uh, they engage with our pharmacy where we're a lot of their prescription business as well. We have a great relationship with them. Uh, there's a new company that is starting uh, further down Meta Road, uh, Purina Dog Food. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, they have converted uh, an old Miller Brewing company um, that started in Eden back in the 70s. And uh, they left about 10 years ago. So the building, uh, the factory was sitting idle for a number of years. And Purina has come in and they're upfitting uh, for their needs. And we understand it's going to be their flagship operation. Oh, wow. So we hope they're going to employ or think they're going to employ around 600 or so people. And so we, ho we hope we can uh, get some opportunities there as well. Most other uh, businesses are, are relatively small, but those are two of the larger um, 
uh, companies in, in our area. Yeah, what a great impact. That must have been tough uh, when they left, when Miller left. I, I can imagine a small community, you, you know, when you when you lose a big job supplier like that. I know locally we've, we're still feeling the effects of uh, losing the GM plant here in Shreveport. You know, that was a, that was a major hub. Uh, but that's great if you're able to, you know, build those relationships and, and that customer base with, that, with those large entities like that. Yes. So talking about um, business, one of the things we did early on is we did a bi-local campaign. And um, uh, this was probably in 2011, again, when our economy was uh, struggling. We just learning about the importance of spending money at locally owned businesses. Uh, you could churn up to 70% of the money in your local economy, if you spin it at um, at a business where the owner of the business lived in the community, sure. Um, you know the the big box stores they um, they employ people, and those folks get to spend their money locally, oftentimes. But a lot of the money goes out of state uh, to wherever their corporate uh, headquarters are. And so, um, so after learning the value of that, we did a buy local campaign. And what we did is we went to the bank and we ordered $2 bills. Have you ever heard of this program? Not only have, not only have I heard of it, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I, I've got the, a $2 bill that, uh, <laughs> that I carry with me. <laughs> awesome. So the bank actually let us stamp by local on those $2 bills. So what we did is we wound up giving our staff uh, $2,000 and we distributed it. I think each, each one got about $70 or so. And we set up a little contest and we said, this is free money, but there are rules and you have to spend it at a locally owned, owned business. And, uh, and then they had to know, then they had to figure out, okay, what is a locally owned business? And so we, we told, explained to them what that was and, and gave some examples. And we said that the person that spends it at the most locally owned businesses, uh, we're going to, we're going to have a cash prize. And we actually, someone earned a hundred dollars, uh, by doing that. So they had a lot of fun with going out and spending their $2. And we said, if anybody asked what's the deal with these $2 bills, they had to explain the value of, of going to and spending their money at a locally owned business. So we had a lot of fun with that. And it was, again, a culture building thing for our staff, as well as a awareness for our community as well. Because when we went to health fairs, we gave away $2 bills for doing a basketball throw or just some something. And um, uh, we did, um, uh, we so we did health fairs. We, uh, oh, and our staff had to, had to tell the, pay, tell the employer or the business why it was important 
and and we even gave them away and our cash register has changed uh, nice but if 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 patients would would agree to it so we had a lot of fun with uh with doing the buy local campaign and uh and it created it created a buzz in the community uh about that and about eating drug and and buy local so so that became that became a fun thing and again it was connecting to our vision of taking care of our community as well as uh, our culture within the pharmacy. Yeah. So you've definitely um, ha- kept that intentionality of, of uh, making that vision a reality and uh, been recognized, obviously, uh with quite a few different awards over the years. Uh, most recently, uh, tell, tell us a little bit about the award uh, that you got this year. Yeah, that was uh, that was a little bit of a surprise to us. Um, so this was uh, Pharmacy of the Year or the uh, McKesson Health March stores. And uh, so we were nominated and we got to go uh, to Las Vegas and uh, present and uh, then everyone at the trade show uh, actually got to vote on uh, uh, which one of the three uh, pharmacies would be pharmacy of the year. And so we had a lot of fun. We met a lot of people. And uh, it was really exciting. Uh, I got to take some of my staff. So uh, they they had a great time as well. Yeah. So uh, if you... Um weren't there. Uh, I, I happened to be there, so I got to see you get the award, which was really exciting. Um, but there's some clips on the internet and, uh, of course, on the website. And I thought it was really neat that you had updated your website pretty pretty quickly after. So, very again, very quick to pivot and uh, and make those updates and, and, and share the news because it's really neat. Did you get one of the, uh, the Lego uh, builds of your store? I I saw Christine's and I thought that was the coolest thing. No. Yeah. So if, if you weren't there, they, uh, they, they had a, a partnership with a, a Lego team at, at this event and they had, um, the, the three nominees was it, uh, Hazel, Hazel Green, uh, Eden Drug and, and, uh, what is Christine's store? I can't think of the name offhand. Anyway, anyways, they were super, super neat Lego kind of dioramas of the uh, of each store. So they were super cool. Yeah, I thought McKesson did a really great job of uh, their trade show show this year. Um, I think the pandemic had really created um, difficulty for them to present like they wanted to, but they pulled out all the stops, and I, I thought they did a a really good job uh, this last year. Yeah, professional, professional pharmacy. I think it is. Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and they were great. I had no idea. I thought for sure uh, Christine was going to get it because uh, she she did such a great job. Uh, but um, but it was it was a lot it was a lot of fun. Awards are nice, but um, you know it's really about uh, taking care of our patients and. And doing what we do, what all of us do every day, day in and day out, of taking care of our patients. And, um, you know, I got an award, but there are a lot of pharmacies, pharmacists out there that are doing the hard work of taking care of their patients and doing it in an extraordinary way. Um, and, uh, you know, I think 
just getting through this year and getting through all this DIR um, stuff that we're having to go through um, has been so challenging. Uh, but, you know, we're doing the hard work uh, to take care of our patients. And that's what we have to keep focusing on. The, the only problem is it's making it difficult because our reimbursements are so tight. It makes it difficult to engage in a lot of other activities other than just stay focused on on not losing money, stay focused on, you know, making sure your patients are getting what they're needed. And uh, uh, it, it just, we just kind of had to rein a few things in this year, mainly because of that. But uh, uh, I, I think it's made us stronger in some ways because um, it's made us, it's made us tighten our belt. Sometimes we, we may be paying for programs or things that we're not even really using. And it's, it's caused us to really look at what our expenses are and uh, do we re- is it really, is it a need or a want? Yeah. You know, if we just want something because we want it, it now might not be the time for that. Uh, now is the time to, to really focus on what do we need and really take care of our patients. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how so many pharmacies universally have just had to learn how to run super lean. And, you know, when, when the tides finally do turn, which, you know, it seems inevitable that they must at this point, especially with uh, some of the some some of the breaks this year, like the uh, the trust LLC and and you know some of the great work that NCPA is doing, um, you know it definitely seems like the tides are turning. But just imagine if you know these incredibly passionate pharmacists with that servant mindset were able to focus their energy on not just advocacy to stay in business, um, but, you know, to really focus on, on passionately on patient care and, and do that, you know, in a, a little bit greener pasture, you know, how, how amazing is that going to be in, in another year, hopefully, or, or two? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's going to take a little bit of time and hopefully we are getting some traction with these PBMs and, uh, trying to, uh, get our legislators to, uh, pay attention uh, I, I do fear that there's a lot of other things uh, going on in the world that's taking their attention away from other important things. But uh, but we just got to keep the pressure on and keep uh, community pharmacy viable um, to get through this very difficult times. You know, it's kind of like what you do in hard times, well, what you do in good times makes a difference what happens when times are hard and when times are hard the activities that you do makes a difference in when times are good and how long they last uh and so i think um you know we 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 have to recognize that this is a this is a time when when we really have to focus on the health of our business and and our employees and and um uh, stay strong for uh, just getting through this this next little bit. 
uh, yeah. because I really do believe it's going to get a lot better. Yeah, I mean, it definitely seems like it has to. There's, um, you know, the the fact that people outside of pharmacy understand what a PBM is now. Um, you know, there there's a, a general awareness that you know, hopefully there there surely uh, there has to be some some riding of the ship at some point. Yeah, I agree. Um, my wife and I actually get to got to go to. Um, our state legislator, Leitra, and um, and they recognized us for winning the award. So uh, one of our local legislators, uh, uh, Reese Pirtle, actually stood up and did a whole proclamation about our accomplishments and what community pharmacy means to the community, the local community. And so this got put into the record there. So hopefully when PBM legislation comes up in North Carolina, they, they've got resources to pull from of uh, examples of why community pharmacy is important uh, to local communities, uh, especially rural communities where access to care uh, could be really difficult if, um, if the community pharmacy uh, disappeared. And uh, because they're, they, patients may have to travel long distances, uh, not only for prescriptions, but for other things that community pharmacies provide today. And we're doing a lot of stuff. Yeah. I mean, uh, during COVID, we, we tested over 20,000, we did over 20,000 PCR tests. Uh, we did thousands of vaccines. We did... Um, uh, rapid tests when monoclonal antibodies became available, uh, which were the therapeutics at that time, we were able to treat. We we set up a treatment room in our at our uh, education center, and we could treat four patients at a time with monoclonal antibodies. Uh, Regenco, we treated up to over two hundred patients uh, that were sick with COVID. And we even went to patients' homes and and did that. So um, community pharmacies are vital to our community, and and we've we've got to do whatever it takes to to make sure they uh, they stay in the community. Absolutely, and not just for the patients, but uh, what a value center for you know whatever entity is paying for that patient's care. Um, you know, especially with the education that you provide. So keeping that vision uh, and looking to the future, uh, what what would you see in the next couple of years? What are you excited for down the road or what is uh, what would you love to implement that the timing just hasn't been right yet, but you're uh, you're looking at the new shiny thing. So what, what what's in what's in your sights? Yeah, so I think uh, truly, Pharmacists as, as providers is coming. Um, it's not coming fast enough, but I think as uh, as primary care becomes uh, more difficult for physicians um, to get, especially in rural communities, I think pharmacists as providers is going to make a lot of sense. Um, maybe in the interim, until we can get to that part, is... Um, creating clinics within a pharmacy so that 
Uh, we can see patients on on weekends and times when appointments just aren't available. You know, I know sure. these urgent urgent cares are popping up everywhere, but um, you know, it, it costs a lot to do urgent care, and especially if you're uninsured, uh, you could come into a pharmacy and get care for way less than um, than what it would cost at and something like an urgent care. So I think access to care is going to drive some of this. And as we see uh, fewer and fewer primary care going to rural communities, um, I think you're going to see either a clinic in a pharmacy or you're going to see um, eventually pharmacists, pharmacists becoming providers. And that would be... Um, you know, the ultimate thing. I think we are in the perfect position to do that. Uh, we're well-trained. I mean, it it would just take, um, it was not hard for us, difficult for us at all to transition into giving these monoclonal antibodies. It was not hard at all to transition and bill uh, for giving these uh, PCR testing. Um, we, we utilized students, we utilized residents, we had staff, uh, we set up a tent outside, we did it inside, we did it outside, we made it work, whatever uh, was needed, depending on the volume. So um, I think there are good things coming. Um, it's, it doesn't happen quick enough, and in some states it seems to be happening a little quicker than others. Uh, North Carolina has allowed us to do a few things. We can prescribe naloxone. We can do prescribed birth control. We can prescribe uh, glucagon, um, nicotine replacement. Um, uh, of course, the COVID vaccines, all of those things, Paxlovid. But we need more. We need yeah. to be able to do a strep test and prescribe an antibiotic. Uh, for a patient on on the weekend, yeah, some of those basic tests and treats just make so much sense. Oh, it does. I mean, how hard is it to treat for flu? And if they're t- if they test positive, administer Tamiflu. I mean, it's so cut and dry. Um, but uh, I think it's coming, and um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited for uh, the future of pharmacy. It just needs to come faster. (laughs) Well, let's hope it does. I know you've got plenty going there, so I'm going to let you get back to your vision there in the pharmacy. But thank you so much for joining us, and I can't wait to see you out on the road. Yeah, my pleasure. Good seeing you, Will. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond the Scripts, presented by the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please support our channel by liking, subscribing, and clicking the notification bell so that you'll be notified anytime we post new content. To stay up to date with all of the latest independent pharmacy news and content, follow PioneerRx on your preferred social media platform.